0: From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to The Worthless Servants Podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome back to The Worthless Servants Podcast. Great to be back with you. And we are a podcast that deals with missions, that deals with culture, healthy church, and a lot more. And I need to present a few people that are here in the room with me. As I said, I'm Scott, but... To my left, Emily Armstrong. Everyone. To her left, Natalie Franco. Hi, guys. And to my right, Dario Richards. Hello. We are back again, and today we have something interesting and perhaps controversial. Polemic. Yeah. polemic. I yeah. like that word. Yeah,
2: I, I introduced the word polemic to Natalie a couple days ago. Polem- yeah.
1: <laughs> polemic. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it kind of translates a little better, I think, in Spanish than it does in in English. But anyway, so we have something interesting that's our topic today. Recently, Emily and I came across a blog post that grabbed our attention. Uh, there's a missionary named Amy Medina, and she wrote an article for Missio Nexus. Uh, It's a missions organization. The title of that article was In Defense of Second-Class Missionaries. Ooh, already, already feel like you're punched in the stomach, right? In in Defense of Second-Class Missionaries. And in that article, she highlighted what she sees as the church's tendency, especially in the West, to categorize missionaries, right? So funding and even prayer support are raised and they're promoted more, in her her experience, for cross-cultural workers who are deemed to be on the front Front line, those really important ones, right? But the other supporting ministries are kind of overlooked. So it cost us to say, let's dedicate an episode to this. Emily, can you just kind of refresh us after kind of reading the article? Obviously, if someone's listening to this, they have not read that article. That we'll uh, include that in the show notes. But could you just kind of refresh us on kind of what her argument is?
2: Yeah, she had um, what we kind of boiled down to about five different arguments, and it's not a long article. So if you wanted to read it, you could literally do it in four minutes. It's not huge. Um, And this is kind of what she uh, places. She says um, that there's a class system among missionaries according to assignment, and she kind of sees it as like an A-list missionary, a B-list missionary, and a C-list missionary.
1: So let me say what those are. Like I have the article up, and she literally would say, who's on the A-list? Well, church Planners, and, and especially unreached people <laughs> groups and maybe pastoral trainers and Bible translators, but then B list would be healthcare workers and doctors and community development and some of that stuff. But the C list would be administrators. Oh no, missionary member <laughs> care, uh, teachers of missionary kids, you know, some, something else that's kind of considered support.
2: So there's all of those people we would say are missionaries, but she's saying it feels as though there's an A-list, a B-list, and a C-list, like Scott just said. Uh, She also says that some missionaries are viewed by the sending church as maybe like not real or not cool. You know, like it's not, uh, it's just, well, you're not really a missionary in what you're doing. They don't see the assignment as missionary assignment. She also says that in her personal experience, what she saw was hardly any support or excitement around their family's assignment to third culture kids, which we've talked about in a different episode. If you want to check that out.
1: Yeah. Maybe just recap, you know, missionary kids are known as, well, we're not really part of our parents' culture, but we're kind of different in this new culture where we're living. And so it's kind of develops into a third culture. So yeah.
2: So this author, her assignment was to work with missionary kids, to work with third culture kids, but um, they didn't get a lot of support for that. But then they changed assignments and they started working with training pastors in a country in Africa. And all of a sudden they were like, they had more support than they ever needed. And they were like, we literally don't know why there's a difference. They're both missionary assignments. She also says, if things like member care, teaching children and administration or finances are not prioritized, it creates a serious stress for the missionary on the field, which is true. And the last thing that we were able to pull out of it is that she um, makes a reference to Paul's image of the body of Christ, which is found in 1 Corinthians, applies to missionary sending and support, not just to the local church. So she uses Paul's metaphor of uh, the body of Christ as this missionary sending structure as well, not just a metaphor for the local church.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like we've got a lot here. Um, Do you agree with the author? Does this make you feel comfortable? Or are you like, this is obvious. Yeah. Unfortunately, this happens. What is is your reaction?
3: Can I say, when I was reading that article, I was like, oh, wow, it hurts. It (laughs) hurts a lot. Um, And I want to say something that the author was saying. Uh, She was kind of uh, mentioning that she and her husband worked for eight years in a ministry, like in a missionary school. Um, And when they were trying to raise support, like to raise funds, they were trying to call um, and send information packets over to 200 churches in California, and they just heard back from two. Mm -hmm. And um, the churches uh, were telling them, over and over again, sorry, but that ministry doesn't fit into our strategy.
1: That doesn't fit into our local church strategy to help with missions. To
3: help with missions. That's why they didn't raise any funds from those churches because their local strategy was mm-hmm. different from what they were doing, you know, helping in school ministry. And I think that way of thinking downplays God's work like if it is not if we're not gonna train plant church planting, if we're gonna if we're not gonna train evangelists, then it is not as like this is not important. Everything else is not as important as this. And it's everything else is just not good enough. Mm. And it's like, oh wow, and then everybody else who has been feeling this call to do something different than that, then it's not good enough. It's not important for God's kingdom. I was just like, oh, wow.
1: But did you, I mean, did it resonate with you? Of course. (laughs) Have have you seen this?
3: Of course I've seen that. Um, I can say, for example, I've heard lots of pastors talking about discipleship, for example. And we as Nazarenes, we have that mission to Be disciples and make disciples Mm -hmm. in all the nations. And I completely agree with that. I think we cannot be Christian without being disciples and make disciples in all the nations. But also I've heard them saying everything else is not necessarily. Like everything else is good, but it's not as necessary Mm -hmm. as discipleship. Mm -hmm. And I agree at the point it is really necessary. It is essential discipleship. But then when they say everything else is not as, like, it is good, but not as essential, then when I am feeling this call to, for example, Compassionate, like to work with mm-hmm. Compassion Ministry, or I, if I've been feeling this call of working witness, I was I've been talking with Dario. I feel I love to work to serve with working witness. Then and, and, I, and
1: some people don't know you are an architect.
3: I'm an architect as well. And, and yeah, so I love. Is co- that
1: like less than exactly?
3: You know? And I'm like like in all the dreams that God has been putting on my heart to to do with the church through another ministry than discipleship, then it is not good enough as discipleship. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not saying it is not important. It is. But why do we have to say everything else, it is not as good as this?
1: Right. Mm Well, and, and certainly if you're an administrator, if you're a finance coordinator, if you're an architect or a work and witness uh, coordinator, like discipleship still is the basis. We do all those it things is. to g- go and make disciples. Uh, but the feeling, <laughs> what I'm hearing you say, is the feeling is still like, yeah, well, I mean, you're not in, on the front line. Mm-hmm. You're not really doing it. You're building buildings.
3: Yes. It's, it, it feels like, oh, well, you're hard. You're like... Uh, it makes me feel like I'm not doing a good, like giving my my life this way to God. It is, it is not not enough. Not enough, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've been feeling this joy when I'm serving this way, but it's like, I don't know. I don't even know. It's like telling me, I don't even know why you feel this joy because mm. you are not even doing uh, mm. the essential. Yeah. I, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I feel like I'm looking over at Dario. I don't know if we if we should release, the, release release the hounds, man, because I know you have thoughts on this. Uh, have you seen this happen? And what are your thoughts?
0: I've I've seen <laughs> Say it, say it. Release the hounds. <laughs> I've seen this happen in, in many ways. Um, I've seen it happen um, calling ways, like what persons are uh, determined to be passionate or feel called to. I've seen it happen geographically, you know, based on which part of the world you come from would determine um, what type of missionary status you could have um, access to. I think that's been huge in my experience to some degree.
1: So I'm going to pause you there. Like, I mean, for people that don't know maybe what... what Dario's saying like literally maybe somebody from one country is considered for a position and somebody from another country with similar attributes and the same resume perhaps uh, would not be considered.
0: Yeah. would not be considered at all. Um, So I think it creates obviously frustration and and to some degree, um, a level of doubt or questioning about um, not God, but the senders of missionaries, you know? Right, right. Uh, and then what I began to realize too, which I think is so unfortunate as we, you know, reading the article and even reflecting on my own experiences, is that what is important always seems to be dependent on where the money is. You know, if it is that you're passionate about compassionate ministries and tomorrow morning, somebody who's a billionaire, wakes up and decide, you know, I feel like giving to compassionate ministries all the church strategies begin to shift to compassionate <laughs> ministries because now they want to make sure when they submit a proposal, it gets the funding. And I think it's so, to some degree, and it's a harsh statement, but I think it's so ungodly or anti-God mm-hmm. for money to become the the definer of what is on the heart of God or what God is calling people to or where God is sending uh, persons as opposed to... Um, as leaders, as senders, really being in tune with the heart of God, what it is that he really wants to achieve and what is important to him achieving that purpose and then being able to whether distribute funding or supporting based on that as opposed to the other route, you know, where it becomes clear that whoever has the most money has the most say. That happens on calling. That happens on geography. Um, We, you know, obviously the the saints are feeling from my perspective in the Caribbean is like, I know that it would be so much easier to send Caribbean missionaries if Caribbean churches started raising much more money. Like if we, Mm -hmm. if our budgets significantly increased and we could give, you know, to the offerings that we need to give to and there's an abundance left over and we have financial power, I know that there will be a shift In how missionaries Are sent Or considered If it happens in Africa Or Asia You know And I think that's so unfortunate As a global church As a global Nazarene church You know um, so yeah, no, you've you've said yes. some
1: good things. Yeah. Uh, Emily, I mean, you and I have sensed this in some ways, like even the fact that raising funds or like rallying prayer support seems to be more difficult for certain assignments than others,
2: yeah, for sure. I think that there's um still this natural inclination. and honestly, we've been missionaries for almost two decades now, and I have wrestled in my own spirit and in my own mind of, has missionary changed? Um, Not even in the past 20 years, but like in the past 40 years, um, especially in the Church of the Nazarene, as we begin to call ourselves the sent church, that we are not just one nation that's sending everywhere, but we are the sent church. We are in so many places and so many people can be called up. I've been wondering if we're still kind of connected to that thought that, What missions is, is evangelism, connecting somebody with Christ for the very first time, the church planting, and what this author, what her statement, what I think she would say very strongly is, we can easily fundraise when we say, my job is connected to somebody coming to know Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. When you give $1, it means one soul is in the kingdom. And we've heard that before. Like uh, literally, I have heard that in ministries before. If you give a dollar, it it will convert to a soul. And it's like, that's cringy. (laughs) I don't know. But for me, I I think that we've, kind of bought that concept, even though we don't want to. So when we start looking at missionaries and what they're doing, especially in a denomination like the Church of the Nazarene, that for over a hundred years, they've been creating this system and support, there is so much that goes into missionary strategy that as the local church, if we could truly get our heads around the fact that conversations that we've had in previous episodes for multiple years now is evangelism isn't just this one-time thing it's not mm-hmm. just this one event that I do it's not just the the one impact that I had. It is like this lifelong walking with people. And there's so much of missionary work that it's the lifelong walk with people. And so this author, when she says, you know, our assignment was to go and help missionary kids. Well, I literally just a couple weeks ago had a friend that is looking for a volunteer missionary because she has a special needs child and they live on the mission field, and the place where they live does not have special needs services. Mm. And so for them to stay in their field of service, they need somebody to come and help educate their child. So that person, their volunteer missionary assignment is just as critical as the parent's assignment mm. of what they're doing on that yeah. field because it helps them to stay there. And I don't know that the church has wrapped around like the complexity of how much work and people and structure it takes so that you don't have these second class and third class and it's like, well, you're not really doing anything that's helping people to know Jesus. Like, yeah, you are. You might need to take the ripple down a few notches, you know, but there are so many ways that we are just integrated that I think maybe the church doesn't quite understand yet. And I hope that it's just a lack of understanding.
1: Yeah, a popular phrase used today by a lot of mission agencies uh, or sending agencies is mission critical, right? So this is a mission critical position. Uh, But then the implication is those others aren't, right? (laughs) And uh, and, and I think we would all say we're uncomfortable with that terminology, right? Just saying assignments or roles are more critical to the mission than others. Uh, Literally in the example that you gave, Emily, if you want to say that the mission critical part is what the original family is doing, those missionaries is doing, they're not able to do that unless someone helps them with their daughter, right. and that someone helps them with their special needs uh, children. Right. And, and, and so therefore that's mission critical too. Right. Right. And uh, and some people I've always thought, man, it is so hard, probably for a finance coordinator. I mean, we have Carlos Gordon that's in uh, Africa. Right. Is he going to come back and he's going to be like on home assignment, man, I work with spreadsheets. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know what I do? I move money around, you know, and certainly he's going to do a good job because he does do a good job at connecting what he does to making disciples into mission. Criti- now mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that's bad, but I am saying that it's terrible for us as ascending church to, to make someone feel relegated that they have to, well, I'm not going to share what I actually do mm-hmm. because really it's not as great as, you know, maybe what these other people do that we should never as ascending church ever put anyone in that perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think too, just historically, how, because in, in our region, um, I think the entire region for the most part, um, most of our district's churches were planted by missionaries. You know, the um, whether from North America or Europe came in and planted churches. And I think this, just what Emily was mentioning, the ultimate goal was often just a conversion. Yeah. You know, a person's converted to Christianity. You just make decisions. But what that did is it, Continuously created this sense of heavy dependency on the planting or the North American or descending or descending church because obviously, if you're going to be a missionary to a country, the intention, the goal must be bigger than just seeing people converted. You must have also have a plan and a strategy for establishing churches, which translates into training and raising up pastors, which translate into um, building communities and building families. And, you know, the goal isn't just now about the spiritual reali- reality, but how do you as a missionary contribute to the strengthening of an entire community, right? right? Social needs, the mental needs. Social needs, needs the mm-hmm. mental needs, right? And I think that's where so much get lost because the goal or the, I shouldn't say the goal. I should say the right goal or the 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 the, the goal that we should have is not clear. You know the mm-hmm. goal or what we're targeting is really just a piece of the puzzle. And if we keep targeting that piece of the puzzle and not considering the big picture, we end up doing much more harm than good. Mm-hmm. And that's what you saw happening in the historical um, churches, you know, you you get missionaries coming who had all the funding, had all the support. Um, they were able to live, do ministry, take care of their families. Um, in some cases, take care of the church. Then the missionaries uprooted. All the funding is gone. Yeah. And they say, yeah, we came, we did our job. Yeah. Um, we left, you know, 20 people down there saved and we put somebody in charge. <laughs> you know, you actually, you, you probably just do more harm then good, you know? And if it is that we don't develop, but if it is our mentality isn't developed, um, where persons can see missions beyond just the convergence of souls, but really the building and the strengthening of communities and societies, then you realize that all of these other um, rules and tasks become so important. They become so critical. Administrators become so critical in that process. You know, work and business teams become so critical in that process. Yes, but if it is we keep this myopic vision of the role of the missionaries simply to convert individuals, then then we, we have this risk, you know, of, of not empowering all of the right people to achieve the big picture. And that's where we miss it. We end up doing more harm than good.
2: Again, I think this article is probably from a Western perspective. Mm. And I sit here and just think about what is it that God is trying to do like in our church, you know, and what is he trying to get us to think about and what are the new ways that he's trying to get us to think through things and, um, I really appreciate the Church of the Nazarene and the World Evangelism Fund. And for all of the the hard pieces of the World Evangelism Fund, um, I think some of the things that we're spearheading in this conversation is they have really done a lot of work mm-hmm. to help the local church anywhere all over the world say, we're contributing to the mission. Mm-hmm. It's it's long-term strategy. It's long-term goals. There's multiple pieces and workings that maybe I don't understand all of it, but I know that this mission's offering is going to further the mission all over the world through some way. And, um. And again, I go to the Western concept because there is a lot of fundraising that's like you have to speak to somebody's heart about the specific thing that I'm doing. I hope this is what God's been laying on your heart and what you want to participate in. And I'm inviting you to be a part. Like that's very fundraising vocabulary and we need to use it and we need to understand it even in the church. However, I think the more that we can understand how great of a gift the World Evangelism Fund is to the general mission of the Church of the Nazareth, It's not just a random missionary offering. It is the way that we are able to say there's not class missionaries, right? Mm-hmm. Like we recognize that ministry to missionary kids in her example is just as important as reaching the unreached nations of the world. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to say that one is funded and one isn't. We're going to try to bring all of our Nazarene dollars together and do as much as we possibly can. And I think keeping that in context and in intention and in balance and where our church is right now is we need to increase volunteerism as well, which means sponsored missionary status, which means being able to come alongside in a district is literally sending their own uh, person with their money and doing world evangelism and the sponsored at the same time. That is a tension that we are in right now as a church. And for anybody to be like, oh, we've just got it under control. We're figuring it out. And I pray that the Lord continues to guide us and direct us and give us wisdom as we bring along both of these concepts to, to the both end. I think sometimes it's an either or. it's like we do this or we do this and, and I think God really does have a way forward for our church with the both ends.
1: So for those who weren't aware, there are two main missionary sending models and when uh, Emily refers to sponsored, she's talking about uh, someone who raises their own funds and, and, and is a volunteer essentially. Mm-hmm.
0: I was going to comment on what um, what Emily mentioned because I actually think the structures that our church has um, to collect missionary offering, the just the just the identity of being a missional church that we are is is core. Like I think it it stands out amongst others. You know, just in some of my peers from right. other denominations, they comment just upon the missionary emphasis you know that we have as a church. <clears throat> now the danger is. That if districts, if regions continue to give to a WEF offering, which is communicated as this is a major means, you know, that we are able to send and we empower missionaries. But then some of those districts never see the benefit of that offering, not by missionaries coming and serving them, but then being clear on okay, there are people in my region, there are people in my district who I believe um, they are clearly called. They check all the boxes, you know, they can be sent. But then there are never beneficiaries coming from those regions. Mm-hmm. Then WEF just begins to sound and seem like a tax, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I gave my tax for the government for the government to do what they want to do, but I don't benefit from it, you know, mm-hmm. and I think. There was a so in my journey in the Church of Nazarene, um, I could see where there was definitely a season where through the NMI, through the stories, through the engagement, through missionaries coming in and sharing, that there was a connection between you know our church and what is happening on a global scale, you know, what is happening in the Horn of Africa, what's happening in these spaces. But I also saw the shift when questions begin to emerge as to all right. You know, now how can we participate in this? Now, how can I be sent? How can we send ours? How can, and then what will begin to happen is it will always seem as though, you know, in this space where we have been contributing, where we have been giving, this is not the pool for you to be sent from. They, they need, you need to do the, the you know, the volunteer method and if your district can send you or your church can send you um, then you can go but then even 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 in that in that structure is almost as though the finances aren't available but you still have to go through the frameworks and go through all of the structures and all the bureaucracy even though this is not accessible mm-hmm, so exactly. I think part of the and I, and I say this all the time about our church I think um, at one point, obviously, we refer to ourselves as a global church, which I believe we are just because of how many places that we are. Um, but sometimes, if we're not careful, we could actually behave like a North American church with international satellites, mm-hmm. which is completely different to being a global church, you know, with, a global, uh, with global priorities. And I think sometimes that's where struggle has happened You know I've heard it You know Just from persons Involved in NMA. I've heard it from Districts who I know They do what they need to do To give as much as they can But then they begin To ask questions When it is Okay We have been doing this Successfully Consistently For so long mm-hmm. How do we now Benefit from this mm-hmm. You know And then what happens On the back end The threat that can come along Is Okay If you are telling me that now for me to send, I need to dip into another pool. Well, I'm going to cut how much I give to this so that I can have my pool, you know, to send, you know, who I deem is called and fit, etc. So I think we do a good job and I I want to make that clear. Like I think... You know, as how we are organized as a denomination, the emphasis we place on missions, um, the avenues we have open for persons, you know, to be called, to be supported, etc., is good. So this is not like a zero. We're not starting from the bottom at all. I think we have this healthy tension, challenge that we now have to wrestle with as a global church. Yeah. How do we as a church break the, because it is a perception. It, mm-hmm. it is real. It's not, it's not something being made up. There is a perception that they are first and second class missionaries, not based on calling now but based on which region you're from, based on the mm-hmm. color of your skin. And I think that's something that cannot be, you can't walk over that if you're mm-hmm. going to be a global church, mm-hmm. you know, that it needs to be, Addressed head on is going to be chaotic. You're not going to have all the answers, but I think for us to maintain and sustain the impact that we're currently having, I see even more people being called in our church as opposed to going to other organizations and going to other spaces. I think it is something we need to wrestle with as a global church, you know, um, so that we don't fall into the trap of of only being able to send or to support based on where the funding is or based on where the money is. You know?
1: Uh, South American missiologist, Samuel Escobar, uh, twenty years ago now, uh, really coined the phrase "missions from everywhere to everywhere," mm-hmm. and that's what we need to see—not mm-hmm. as just theory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We need our structure to reflect that. Yeah. And you know, and and <laughs> not everyone is great at fundraising. Not everyone is from your exact geographical area. Not everyone is uh, involved in the missions. The specific missions assignment that. You're you're passionate about. But we are a body. We are a team. In fact, um, I thought it was very interesting how the author kind of concluded, maybe we can conclude as well, our episode uh, with Romans 12 that says, we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. That's from Romans 12. So the author, Amy Medina says, the legs can't do anything without the arms and fingers and neck. So go out today and find your nearest missionary accountant or counselor or MK teacher. She's really talking about assignment, but we've t- we've addressed things that are geographical or that, you know, maybe for, for other reasons, they're deemed second class. No one ever says it, but that, that unconsciously are second class. So go find people like that, join their support team, advocate for them, I would say, encourage them in their pursuit of their calling, affirm their value to your church and to our denomination and our team, and remind them they are never second class. I think that is so, so yeah. crucial. Yeah. Well, Emily, uh, certainly there will be people that are opinionated about this, uh, <laughs> that maybe feel like uh, this is really a tough way to talk about this, or maybe are like, oh, it's finally time that somebody talked like this, you know? How can people dialogue with us in this journey?
2: Yeah, we invite the um, conversation over on our Facebook page, which is the Worthless Servants Podcast. Uh, you can also hear more uh, episodes. There's plenty of episodes on Mesoamericagenesis.org that has to do with the World Evangelism Fund, with volunteerism and sponsored ministry, with global missions. If you go way back to the beginning, if you're a new listener, listen to one of the very first five episodes we talked about what global mission structure is and how we are working to, exactly like Dario was saying, of getting the tension worked out. That is a piece of what, where we're grateful that the church has at least said, we recognize this as something and we need to get better. And we uh, hope that in Mesoamerica, at least we're providing more and more opportunities to get people into into some of those areas that we need you so bad. We need you so bad.
1: Awesome. Well, we're going to leave it there. And we really would ask you to continue this conversation on our social media and uh, you know through that avenue. We are The Worthless Servants, and I'm Scott Armstrong.
0: I'm Dario Richards.
2: I'm Natalie Franco. And I'm Emily Armstrong.
1: And we will talk with you next time.
0: For more information, visit us on Facebook or at mesoamericagenesis.org.